Right. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm very, very pleased to come to you today. I'm interviewing a dear, dear friend of mine, John Rankins. Hi, John. Hi, Peter. It's great to be here. It's good to have you here. Look, I'm just going to tell our viewers um, that I've, I've met you. I met you about two years ago. I saw you on stage. I've seen you on conferences, and and then we went into a, a seminar together, and we had time to to develop a, a more personal relationship. Um, but I just want people to know the reason who who you are to me to me you represent uh, power you're a powerful guy you're uh, sometimes larger than life um, you're definitely intelligent and you don't even appear to be as in it's easy to 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 think that uh, to to miss the genius of, of your intelligence that's that's what I uh, that's my personal opinion you, uh, on you. You're definitely savvy, but I think one of the best things that I, I like about you, John, is that you're you're a humble guy. You you know how to listen to those that have got additional wisdom, and and I I love that. So you you're willing to share your story, and that's why I thought you know what our viewers could take something away from your wisdom from your story. So I'm going to ask you the first question and we'll just jump into it. So John, who is John Rankins to you today? I know it's weird to talk about yourself in third in the third person, but let's play with this. Yeah. So first of all, I'm a new dad. I'm a daddy. Uh, I've resigned from being a CEO and I, I'm now a CED, Chief Executive Daddy. Uh, I love being a father. It's the most important thing. I've ever created in my life and you know I'm uh, I have a loving partner and I love my family and I'm a man of God I you know I practice a religion called be good and do good and that's what it is just be good and do good and uh, lots of other people call me the sales machine because I created a sales force of more than 4,000 people in 10 countries and I've had a lot of success in business. However, it wasn't always easy. And, you know, I grew up with a single mother uh, on food stamps and welfare in the United States. And there was, you know, struggles. And that's where, uh, you know, I looked outside of myself, outside of my own situation, outside of my own family. And I looked around and I identified that, you know, there was a lot of successful people in the world. There was a lot of wealthy people in the world. And so I always thought about that. If they can do it, why can't I? Sure. Let me ask you a couple of questions before we move on to that, because that's very interesting to me. So you grew up with, with a single mom. Uh, did you know your father at all, John? Uh, no, my father bailed before I, was actually, before I actually came out and came into this world. Right. And so that was, you know, that was a challenge. So he wasn't even in the picture, right, at the time? No, I, he wasn't in the picture. And so my, my mother actually went through several different other relationships, abusive relationships, and I was that odd child out, you know, right. uh, because, you know, no, I wasn't the next guy's child. And so I was like there, and then, you know, they had their children, so it was a very, very different dynamic for me. And so, so very, 
That's very interesting because uh, the statistics show that uh, that you know young boys in particular that grow up in in, in single um, parent mother type of families there's there's a, a high uh, proportion of those that don't end up very well they they don't definitely don't end up as successes you know they end up um, committing more crime they end up having more problems with with drugs and addiction they end up having more problems with with prison and yet. And yet you took a different route. I mean, do you remember the first time that you decided, hang on, I, I have to stop this level of misery? How, how did that happen? Well, you know, when we early on, we used to wait in line for butter and cheese. And it was extremely diminishing. People would make fun of us. I grew up in a Hispanic neighborhood. We were actually segregating the neighborhood. So it's, it's very, uh, you know, in 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 the poverty in America, we were like the only white family. And so, you know, not only was it diminishing and people made fun of us, but a lot of the Hispanics, they would actually see me standing in the, in the lines and they weren't in the lines. And so they'd make fun of me at school. They would make fun of my brother. And, you know, my, my mom worked really hard. She was an amazing woman. And so she was my driver. She yeah. was my inspiration because ultimately when I looked around at the world and seeing how people, you know, had nice cars, we didn't even have a car, you know, they had nice houses. We lived very modestly and, you know, it, I live in Asia now and there's different standards, but in America it was poverty. And so it drove me to want to be able to retire my mom because she used to clean, uh, she was a maid in America. She would clean three homes a day, uh, send us off to school, and then we knew to come home, do our homework. My sister would make us dinner. My mom would come home exhausted. And so I always told myself, one day, I'm gonna make a difference for her. Wow. Uh, and, you know, and that drove me, no matter the diminishment, no matter our situation growing up, I knew that if I was only smart enough or I applied myself enough or I focused enough, that no one was any better than I was or, the, or my family. It's just a matter of are they willing to do whatever it takes. And for me, like in sports, in basketball and football, I excelled because it's an even playing field. When we all go out there, it's an infant playing field. doesn't matter your background, your education, uh, you have two parents. It doesn't matter. When we go on the playing field, it's all even. It's all even. And I love playing the games. I was very competitive. And it was my outlet for putting in 100% effort to see what results I could get. And I excelled in sports, which gave me the belief systems that if anybody else can do, anything and so can i so that that's an interesting one isn't it because there you are in the queue people are making fun of you you go to school people are making fun of you kids are making fun of you i mean we all know how 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 cruel sometimes kids can be because they have no no way to to judge or experience to to see how hurtful their comments can be sometimes um and yet um your 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 mindset was one of oh, here's my mom and i i want to do everything possible to to help my mom 
and and to provide a better life for her. Is that is that is is that 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 must have taken a while to get there? I mean, how did you cope in, in this? No, actually, it happened very early on. You know, so. Uh, you know, we were being made fun of in school and standing in line to get handouts was incredibly diminishing and children would make fun of us. And I remember a situation where me and my older brother, who was a couple of years older than me, uh, we were in line, you know, and we had to get our lunch punched with the free card. And no matter where we're good in sports, we were still the poor people. You know, and people would make fun of us. We would get in fights. And I remember my brother getting in a fight because people were making fun of us. And I, you know, and it was just incredibly diminishing. And I remember that. And I remember how people treated us. And I said, you know what? There's no way I'm going to ever have a family or raise a family that lives like this and that doesn't appreciate others. And it just drove me. It drove me to excel in school. I got straight A's in school, but my mom couldn't pay the bills for, for the family. So I ended up, my older brother and I, we started working at night, sorting out corporate trash so that uh, we could make enough money for my mom to, to you know, keep the house and feed the, the, us, the other kids. And so that's what we did. And you know, even with straight A's, uh, the school system said, look, you've missed too many days of school uh, because I was working graveyards. So you failed and you have to repeat uh, the ninth grade. And I'm like, what you do you mean? I have straight A's. You had to repeat the ninth grade, even though you have, were having straight A's. Yeah. And, it, and no. it completely destroyed my opportunity for a scholarship. My way out was college, right? right. So it completely destroyed that. And so, you know, I became extremely, you know, disturbed and distraught. And I was like, how do I get past this? You know, because that's my only way out. A, a counselor came in and said, look, your way out is get straight A's. You'll get scholarships anywhere you want. So, you know, they even failed me in driver's education. And I already had a license from passing driver's education. Oh, and I, they wanted me to repeat it. So you're making me repeat it, but I have a license from the government because I completed it. So what's flawed about your system? So and, I understood. And yet I find it very interesting that you have, you already had this belief that if, any, if anyone can do it, I can too, because this is a level playing field. Yet it's almost like the universe is saying to you, no, it's not a level playing field. Or is, or is it putting to, to the test that idea that it well, is? Yeah, it's the educational system. It, it failed because they said, look, your parents have to come down and represent you and let us know that you are out of school for the right reasons. And so I informed my mom and my stepfather, and they didn't do it. They didn't take it serious. So when they failed me and they, they said, you have to redo all the classes, I said, I'll do summer school. I'll do whatever it is to make it up. I still have an opportunity here. So, but... At that point in time, I understood that, you know, life's not fair. And it hurt. It hurt a lot because then the following year we moved and with straight A's again, because I didn't take the finals, this is all for driven for the result. I want to be, uh, uh, I want to be a successful man. I want to take care of my mom. And I, I didn't take the finals. 
And they said, you're fine, you have straight A's. We moved from Kansas to California, got to California, registered for school, and they said, well, you haven't finished the semester. You haven't taken your final exams. They haven't transferred your credits. And I said, what does that mean? And that means you failed. And so now you have to take the 10th grade over again. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, this cannot be. So <clears throat> I didn't last, you know. Uh, I got involved with the wrong crowds. I got a full-time job. And I just really gave up on, you know, the school system and going to college. And my opportunity then was, you know what, I'm just going to become, you know, uh, I'm going to become a worker. I'll, find, I'll become an entrepreneur. I'll find out how to make money. And from there, uh, I, I went on to, uh, long story short, I did some bad things as far as to myself, not to others, really. Uh, I just got caught up in the wrong crowd. And eventually, I, you know, within six months, I realized I got to get out of here. So I went to my uncle and I said, look, this is not me. Everybody I'm involved around, all they want to do is do drugs, more drugs, and more drugs. And no one can be sober for not even a day. So I told him, you know, you got to get me out of here. I'll do anything you say. And he said, fine, get in the car. We jumped in the car and he drove me down to the military recruiting uh, mall. <laughs> yeah. Right? And so we, we drive up and there, there's the army there. And he goes, okay, you're going to join the army. And in my mindset, the army was a bunch of bullet catchers the people who just got shot. And I was like, no, and they're not the few, the proud, the Marines. So I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I'll join the Marines. And he goes, right. okay, but as long as you join, that will get you out of here. That's your ticket to see the world and figure out what it is you're going to do from here. And they had a GI bill. Yeah. They had a GI bill. So $10,000 for college, as long as you give them four years of your life. So I'm like, this is my way out. Right. I can still go to college. Yeah. So we went to the Marines. They were closed. Went to the Air Force. And in the Air Force, I took all the tests. Everything was good. They said, you scored extremely high. We want you. Uh, we just have a, uh, one final question. And they said, uh, have you ever used drugs? And I said, yes. And then they said, how many times? And I started laughing because I'm like, is this serious, right? Like, you know, I was smoking pot back then. It was right. 100 years ago. And I'm like, what do you mean? I, I don't even know how many times. All I know is I did it. And they said, well, we can't allow you in the military. I said, okay. So I walked around the corner and my uncle said, why would you tell him that? I said, I was just being honest. Yeah. I'm telling the truth. And he goes, all right, well, now you blew it. And I said, no, I didn't. There's the Navy. Let's go in there. And he goes, what are you going to do? I said, I'm just not going to – I'll tell him the truth. I'm just not going to tell him everything. Did the exact same thing. Then they asked, you ever use drugs? I said, yes. How many times? I don't know, a couple times. You know, I really didn't count. It wasn't that important to me. Uh, what's important is my education and moving forward. And they said, fine. You have to sign a waiver that you use drugs. You have to say how many times it was. Cannot be more than three or you're out. I said, okay, I'll just – I think it was three signed up. They put me in and, uh, and you know, I, I, I joined the military. I was on nuclear powered submarines. I was driving them. I went to submarine school. I went to, 
you know, central atmospheric monitoring schools for, for atmosphere monitoring systems like on the space shuttle. And, you know, I had a great uh, four-year career, got the GI Bill, got out, was going to go to college, but I got an opportunity in between semesters to do sales. And that was in 1991, and I haven't ever had a job since. So, so what would you say was about the Navy, the Navy wasn't it? Uh, was it the discipline that um, helped you, or what was it, that process of being in the Navy? Well, the discipline, I already had the discipline, even when the others were doing drugs and I was like, this is not for me. I'm like, you know, this is not for me. I had full-time jobs in high school. I had full-time jobs since I was a little boy. I mean, I was a newspaper right. boy. I mowed lawns. I cut grass. I was always providing income for myself. Right. And so when I got in the military, it was fun for a, after, you know, boot camp was fun. I loved the discipline. I loved the hardcore And I loved to excel. And then the submarine school was great. And then going on the submarines was great. But I started to identify, look, I don't really need people to tell me what to do. I'm a man. I'm responsible. And they, they were telling me what to do every hour on the hour. Yeah. And, and then I started to understand that, you know, this is really brainwashing at the highest level. Because, you know, I am a peon. I am nobody. I'm a pawn in this big chess game. Yeah. And even the king is being moved by someone else in this right. big chess game. Yeah. So I didn't, you know, there's a lot of wars and a lot of things that happened in our history. And, you know, for me, it was even against humanity. Like, I'm like, I'm just not in alignment with this. I'm in alignment with being American. I'm in alignment with our constitution, but I'm not in alignment the way the militaries ran or how people dictate because there's two types of leadership. There's autocratic leadership and there's Socratic leadership. That was a completely autocratic institution, like a dictator telling you what to do every moment of the day. So yeah. I'm like, I'm out. As soon as my time is up, I'll honor my contract and I'm out. And is that how you run now your, your businesses? Because you've got 4,000 salespeople um, in your organization. Is, is that, do you, have you applied any of those? Yeah, so I have, a, I have a completely Socratic leadership model for the way I run my business. And what I mean by that is, first of all, I get buy-in from everybody by allowing them to know up front, what is our vision? What is our mission? What are our core values? Right. And what is the code of honor for being a part of our uh, organization? And for me, once you set up in any company, and I do this with companies all, all over the world, you set up their vision, their mission, their core values and a code of honor of what's acceptable and not acceptable behavior. Yeah. And what are the rewards, recognition, competition and compensation that you can provide to make the team better? And you practice that. And I practice that not only with the sales teams, but I practice that with the head office teams that are the support people that we need for logistics, that we need for customer service. And so we practice giving back 10% of whatever's in our company. We give back to the, to the back office team and share with the teams that are doing the support that are not even doing the sales. Right. And so we set up our core values 
Uh, and our core values are, I love it. So the company culture is optimal. I love it. So what does that mean? So whenever I walk in, I just say optimal. I put my hand on my heart and people will say, I love it. And I love it stands for integrity, leadership, opportunity, value, excellence, innovation, and teamwork. And I love it. And we practice it every day, every day, every day when we're at business. So can you say that again? I is innovation. No, no. Integrity. 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 Number one thing in our business is integrity. So I love it. I love all of our core values and we came up with it. Yeah. And it was, it, we just identified all of our core values and it equaled out to be in whatever sequence I put it in a sequence of, it made sense. I love it. So it's yeah. easy to remember. So integrity, everybody in our organization must maintain integrity, integrity of the ship, integrity within themselves, integrity with all of our customers that we serve. Yeah. Number two, everyone has to display leadership. Yeah. For a company culture to excel at the highest levels, like, you know, you look at Apple, you look at Amazon, you look at now Microsoft that are all trillion dollar companies. Leadership has to be embedded and the principles have to be there throughout the organization. It's not just about managing, it's about leading. Yeah. Hmm. Right? So that's, that's number two. Uh, number three is opportunity. So why do people want to maintain being a part of your organization when today there's all kinds of entrepreneurs, there's solopreneurs, uh, there's what we call, I just been to South Africa, they asked me to speak, there's Tinderpreneurs meaning they get tenders from the government and get, that's, that's all they got. Right. Uh, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, tenderpreneurs, there's wantrepreneurs. But ultimately, opportunity should be about intrapreneurs within an organization. If you want to retain and develop great people and take an organization to the next level, then what you're going to want to do is give them opportunity as entrepreneurs in the company. And that's why we practice giving back 10% of whatever we make so that the people know within integrity and as long as they're leading, the opportunity is always there for them to go to the next level. So we even make people's partnership and give partnerships like a law firm does in the business. Value, so I-L-O-B, value, is for our customers, clients, and each other. How do we provide value to the marketplace? How do we provide value to each other? And how do we provide value to our team? Right. You'll notice I never say the bad word, the E word, right? I'm fine with the F word. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm focused. And you know, offline, I'm fine with the F word. Yes. But I'm not fine with the E word, and that's employee. No one wants to be called an, an, an employee. No one wants to be treated like a second-class citizen. When I was in the military, they called me a petty officer. <laughs> that doesn't sound and good. I'm like, are you serious? You're calling me petty? Do you know the definition of petty? Like, I'm out. This, you know, and the officers I was learning from had no clue uh, and no common sense. And worst of all, had no uncommon sense. 
which is the highest level of intelligence as far as I'm concerned. So how do you provide value for each other and your team and your, your clients? So we value has to be there with our products and services. The next thing is excellence. So how are we practicing excellence within our organization? And that means every day, every day, every day. How does the office look? Are we taking care of clients at the highest level? Are we doing things that create wow experiences for our customers, clients, and our people, right? How are we practicing excellence? The next core value is innovation. So we're innovating all the time. The way we do it is before we were selling cosmetics, skincare, and car care, and it was world-class brands that we didn't own. Now we developed world-class brands like Aqua Plus Skin Care, V Cosmetics Skin Care, Pure Wax for wash and wax for car care, and now even software with the sales machine. And I'm implementing these products and we're innovating these products to give all of our people more opportunity and to give the consumer more value with products that are better than what are in the marketplace. So we're constantly innovating our systems, processes, and products. And then finally, teamwork. What do we do to create an opportunity of teamwork and how do we scale the business through teamwork? Because no one can compete with the team as long as the team is aligned. And so this is what I've been doing for more than 30 years now, building teams. And I'm passionate about, I love it. I love being able, you know, to give people opportunity that they can change their lives and and they choose. How high do you want to go? It's up to you. You know what I have to say to that? I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I actually love it. I, I think that idea is to start with integrity. I, mean, I, I know that you look for something to fit the words, but to start with integrity, I think that that's, that's beautiful. And it, it truly represents your journey, John, from, from what I know and what you have explained here. It does take integrity to an idea, to, to um, a drive, a, a passion, that you have for first for, for helping your mother and then helping other people. That's one thing that I've, I've, I've gotten from you. You, you have a drive to help other people. That's lovely. Um, and, uh, what would be the last piece of advice that you would give? Cause uh, I'm aware of the time, um, that you would give to someone that at the moment things are not going so well, they're not going so well. And, um, they, they may be in a place where, the, uh, just like you, when, when you, you tried so hard to get into a, a scholarship and, and everything seemed to fall apart around you, um, they can be young, it can be older people, but, but they're in that place where they need to make a decision to keep going or to give up. What would you say? I would say success is every day, every day, every day. And as long as you look for what's good, you know, recently I was at Harvard and I spoke at Harvard And they asked me to talk about business and everything else. And what was most important for me was explaining a philosophy of life that I live that allows me to stay focused uh, every day, every day, every day on what's important. And that's why I talked about life is beautiful. There's always something that's beautiful out there 
but you got to look for it. The bad is available, but so is the good. And life is happening for you, not to you. So as long as you're looking for the good, life is beautiful. Life will still knock you down. Life is not fair, but life is still beautiful. What are you focusing on every day, every day, every day to make life beautiful or to make strides, even step by step by step to grow? So I have a philosophy that, you know, I wait, create, and dictate my life every day. I take charge of my world every day by waking up and I focus on me. So I don't check emails. I don't check messages. I, I wake up earlier, even than my family, and I go and I take time for me and I meditate on what's that one thing that I want to focus on all day. Regardless of what happens, that's what I'm going to focus on. And I meditate. So I wake, create, meditate. And then I dictate my life. I have what's called the Life Mastery Playbook. And I wrote this for my son, Sky. And in this book, it tells, it, it just guides you what to do every day, every day, every day. I focus on what is transformational. And what I mean, that, what I mean by that is what is strategic and transformational that will make the biggest difference in my life every day. And I write down just one goal that's in alignment with my life goals. Then I identify what are the priorities that need to be focused on that day to just hit that one goal. And then finally, I write down what am I most grateful for? What am I most grateful for in my life? And that puts me in a mindset and gives me the focus every day regardless of the turmoil happening outside the outside world, I control my internal world. And when you control your internal world, you start directing the outside world to align with you. Beautiful. So that's I, I, it. I love it. I love it. I love it too. That is great advice. And by the way, folks, um, I know some of you have just met John Rankins, but he has a heart of gold. And what he talks about, he actually, I've seen him implement that over the past two years. So he's not somebody that talks BS, um, but he's, he actually applies what he says. So thank you very much, John. Where can they get a copy of your book, John? Or should well, I say guy's to, book? <laughs> there's lots of exciting things coming out. If you go to John at johnrankins.com, yeah. you can send me a message there. Uh, and... Right now, currently, my books are only provided internally and to private clients, and the ones we had public have sold out. But right. if you, the next run are being done, and I'm working on version 2.0, uh, which is super exciting, but you can get to know me, you can send me messages, and my team and I will definitely follow up with you. Great. So johnrankins.com, and they can contact you through there. Yes, that's correct. John, it's been a great interview. Thank you very much for your love and your wisdom and your generosity of time and also of spirit. And um, yeah, thank you. And I hope that uh, a lot of people watch this. And by the way, if you're listening, if you're watching this video, uh, please share it along, share it wherever you like, because um, people need this kind of message what John just talked about that's, that's beautiful uh, and wisdom. And also, 
If you want to subscribe to our channel, please do so. And definitely click that like button because that helps in, in the Google bots and the YouTube robots in sharing and spreading this message. So thank you very much, John. And uh, say hi to Sky and to your lovely wife. And I, I hope to see you soon in person. Same to you. God bless, Peter. Bye-bye.